The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Executive functions and how they interact with behavior and all of that good stuff. So the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Please drop your questions in the chat. Um, if you are watching a pre-recorded or the recorded version of this, we are happy to answer those questions later. But definitely if you're live, drop those questions in. I would love to hear from you. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with the executive functions. A little bit more about me. I am the parent to three little kids. I am a former special education teacher. I sometimes think of myself as a teacher first and a behavior analyst second. I love how ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis, can work in schools. And I love thinking about how these strategies can work in an overcrowded, understaffed classroom. These same concepts and principles really do work in that setting. And I love thinking about all of the things that we need in those schools and really supporting teachers. Um, as I said, I'm a board certified behavior analyst. There's me with my little adorable grandma when I graduated um, a long time ago with my master's in ABA. Um, I am the founder and president of the Autism Helper. The Autism Helper, we started to support teachers, clinicians, and parents who are working with kids on the spectrum. And now we do that in a lot of ways. We have a blog with a team of amazing bloggers. We have parents, preschool teachers, high school teachers, grade, grade school teachers, kind of all span of teachers, OT, SLP, all sharing different perspectives on supporting kids with autism. I do what I'm doing today, which is one of my favorite parts of my job, doing virtual and in-person trainings. We have a podcast where I get the great honor of interviewing other experts in the field, and we have a professional development uh, uh, membership. We have a professional development membership group that provides ongoing training and consultations. And then we have four online courses. We have a course on behavior change, on executive functions. You're going to get a little taste of executive functions today, literacy, and um, a new one coming on data. So a little bit about what the Autism Helper does. We also create curriculum and educational resources for um for special education classrooms. We have a newer offering for classrooms. If you are a teacher or you have a child in a classroom right now that is struggling with that curriculum piece, reach out to us on the autismalber.com. We have a really great offering just for school districts on curriculum. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. So today I'm going to show you how utilizing your knowledge of executive functions can really increase positive behaviors, improve student engagement, and increase classroom disruptions. And if you're like, Sasha, I don't even know what executive functions are yet. Don't worry. We're going to go over all of that because it's really important to understand what these are in order to understand how we can use these strategies to increase positive behaviors and decrease negative behaviors. So let's think for a second about the expectations of our learners. So we have different expectations for our learners, right? 
whether we're in the home setting or we're in the school setting, our kids have academic expectations, right? We have goals, we have programs that we've set, we have benchmarks, we have things we want them to learn. And then we have social expectations, how they share, how they ask for help, how they interact with peers. We have independent skill expectations. If you are a parent, you have expectations on maybe your child getting themselves dressed in the morning, brushing their teeth. And then behavioral expectations. When your child's upset, how can they express that anger? Or when your child is overwhelmed, how? what are the appropriate ways to express that anger? When our kids are not meeting classroom expectations, and I want you to really replace the word classroom with like school here or home, any types of expectations, whether you're in the home setting, clinic setting, classroom, when our kids are not meeting those expectations, what does that look like? That can look like a lot of different things, right? That could look like shouting out. That could look like shutting down. That could look like aggression. If you are watching me live on Facebook or YouTube now, drop a note in the chat. What does not meeting classroom expectations or home expectations look like for you? What ways are your kids struggling to meet the expectations you have for them at home? Are they struggling to fall asleep at night? Are they struggling to get their homework done? Are they struggling to interact with their siblings in the afternoon and on the weekends appropriately? So I could kind of rename this slide negative behaviors, right? Because these are all negative behaviors. But I think the mindset shift is real important here that, hey, instead of viewing it as negative behaviors, we can look at this as an inability right now to meet the expectations that we are facing. Oops. So think about that. What does not meeting those expectations look like to you with within your own kids, within your own classroom or your own clients? What does not meeting classroom expectations look like? And then we want to get to the root of the issue. This is one of my favorite, favorite quick wins to share. I tie this idea into a lot of different sessions on executive functions and behavior because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Is your child not meeting those expectations because he can't or because he won't? If it's a can't do situation, it means that the work or the demand is too hard and we need to teach new skills. If it's a won't do, it means that the student's not motivated. It means to look at and adjust the reinforcer. Every decision we make, you and I, everyone, every decision we all make is shaped by two things. It's shaped by our skills and ability to perform the action, right? Do we have the skills to do it? And it's shaped by our motivation to act or not act on particular options, right? This is for all of us. This isn't just for kids with autism or, or kids. This is for all of us. We need the skills and we need the motivation. I'm going to give you an example from my own life. So I am not a runner. Like, I don't like running for fun, right? Maybe if you're a runner, you don't, you can't empathize with me. If you're someone that exercises, runs for fun, that's not me. If I'm running, it means like something or someone is probably chasing me. I'm not a runner. So if you were to ask me to run a mile, I would say no. I would say no. I can do this but I don't want to. I have the skills, but I don't have the motivation, right? But let's say someone asks me to run a mile and they will give me $500. Oh my gosh, you guys. Suddenly, suddenly I'm out there. Suddenly I'm running, right? Because I have the skills and I have the motivation. I want to, right? But what if someone asks me to run a mile in five minutes? I cannot do this activity. I cannot do that, right? I know that so deeply to my core, I probably wouldn't even bother trying. And if you were like, well, Sasha, I'll give you $500 or $5,000, it doesn't matter. 
it doesn't matter how much reinforcement or motivation you offered me. I still can't run the five minute mile. And I know that. For a lot of our kids, the expectations they are facing in school and at home are equivalent to asking me to run the five minute mile. They don't have those skills yet. They don't have the flexibility. They don't have the emotional control. They don't have the organization skills. They don't have the impulse control, right? And when we throw motivation at the issue or reinforcement at the issue, it doesn't affect the lack of skills. When we throw punishment at it, it definitely doesn't change anything. And we have to really address what's at the root of the issue. Is it a can't do? Is it a won't do? So we can know how to respond accordingly. So I want you to kind of think about this within your own life and think about your can't do's or won't do's. Are there things that on a regular basis, you're running into that, hey, this is something that I want to accomplish, but I don't have the skills? Like whenever I ask this in trainings, I'm like, hey, what are your can't do's? People will say like, I want to... Um, I want to fix my deck and I don't know how, or I have this tech thing I want to set up, but I don't know how. My can't-dos are typically tech-related. I have, like, limited tech expertise. My my expertise is, like, unplugging and replugging. Now, if it's a won't-do, what are things you have the skills, but you don't have the motivation? Who pressed snooze today? I did. Right? You had the skills to turn on off the alarm and get out of bed, but you didn't have the motivation. So you didn't do it, Right. So when your student is not meeting classroom or home expectations, don't initially just assume that lack of motivation and we need to like jump to the reinforcement issue. Instead, think about the fact that maybe he can't meet those expectations due to missing skills. And those missing skills could very likely be executive functioning skills, right? You guessed it. You knew the topic here. They could very likely be executive functioning skills. So what are executive functions? If you kind of hopped on here and you're like, executive functions, I've heard of these, but why are they so important? And how do they really affect all these things you said? You know, behavior change and skill acquisition. Why are they so important? So executive functions are the cognitive processes required for goal-directed behavior. I like this definition. The skills to perform or execute a task. We think executive, execute. I'm executing a task, right? So they really involve everything we do all day to manage our own behavior. These skills work together and a weakness in one skill affects the overall ability to perform a task. So why are these skills so important? Like, why do we need them? It's because deficits in executive functioning skills can cause challenges in what we've been talking about, that inability to meet those expectations. Deficits in executive functioning skills can cause challenges in making and maintaining friendships, following classroom and school rules, huge implications in reading comprehension. I could have done an hour just on reading comprehension and executive functions because there's so much to unpack there. But really in general with academic engagement, executive functions play such a big role and our ability to perform on informal and standardized assessments. So I mean, if you're if you're watching live not right now on Facebook or YouTube, drop me a little note if you're like, oh yeah, I definitely have, you know, see that my kids have struggles with these, my students or clients have struggles with some of these. And let's start to think about what role executive functions play in some of these challenges. So I said reading. You know, I, I love talking about literacy and reading because it's just an under-researched, under-talked about area, especially with literacy instruction and in, in individuals with autism and how we do that. But when we break it down and look at the role of executive functions, it's so massive. I mean, even when we go to kind of something as specific as decoding, here's an example. Decoding requires really strong working memory. So working memory is one of our 11 executive functions. Working memory is the ability to remember something while doing something else. 
So when we're decoding, when we're reading and we're reading through and we're sounding things out, we have to remember what we just read. Remember all of our phonics kind of knowledge. Remember our tools that we use, like context clues and inferences to decode what something means. And we need to use working memory. And then we have to use flexibility, another executive functioning skill. So we need that just for decoding. And if strong decoding doesn't happen, then strong reading fluency doesn't happen. And if strong reading fluency doesn't happen, then comprehension doesn't happen. Like we see it snowball right there. And even if a student has really strong decoding skills, reading comprehension, which is the big goal of reading, requires really high degree of working memory. If you read a chapter book, like this happens to me all the time. I forget what I just read because sometimes I read before I go to bed. My working memory is not so sharp, at, you know, right before bedtime. And I will have to typically reread a few pages um, when I open my Kindle because I typically was like falling asleep those last few pages. So my working memory wasn't so sharp. When you're reading a book, you have to remember what you previously read to understand the theme, understand the story, right? You also need metacognition, another executive function. Your ability to self-monitor. If you read something wrong, you have to realize you read it wrong. And flexibility, again, you need to change predictions, change the tools you're using, all that good stuff. I don't think it's just reading that executive functions plays a role. And it's also math. So we really we need really strong working memory with math. You have to remember the order of operations. You have to remember your math facts. There's a big connections between math skills and impulse control, right? Our response inhibition. We have to stop potential errors, check our work. And then complex math requires such simple things as planning and organization. You have to know where to put the decimal point. You have to know how to align your numbers so it works, right? If you put the decimal point in the wrong spot or you don't align things the right way, then you're not going to get the right answer. And then we have a big impact on social skills. I mean, again, we could talk about social skills like the whole time. Social skills requires impulse control, requires identification of potential consequences. This requires the ability to read social cues. I mean, think about that with your kids, with your students, with your clients. Are your kids struggling to read social cues of other kids and adults? That could be due to a lack of executive functioning skills. This requires a lot of being flexible, right? To be a good friend, to establish relationships, we have to be flexible, right? We have to change topics. Working memory helps build up relationships, maintain conversations, and improve social norms. Remember, again, working memory is remembering something while doing something else. And when you're having conversations, you need to remember things about people. So here are our 11 executive functioning skills. I've already kind of introduced a few of them for you. These skills are everything. They're really at the root of everything we do, whether it's academics, whether it's functional skills, whether it's social skills. So these 11 are super important. Response inhibition, working memory, emotional control, sustained attention, task initiation, planning, organization, time management, persistence, flexibility, and metacognition. So those are our 11 executive functioning skills. They're a part of our everyday life, and we use these skills every single day, even you and I. So let's take an everyday chore or thing we have to do, and let's see how we use all 11 executive functioning skills every single day. Let's go grocery shopping, right? You got to go grocery shopping. I'm not someone who loves going grocery shopping. I know some people love it. Not me. I'm happy grocery delivery services exist, but sometimes you got to go. Okay, so let's go grocery shopping. And we're going to see how we can use all 11 executive functioning skills when we are when we are grocery shopping. 
So first we need to plan which store we're going to go to, right? You got to pick which one. Planning's an executive functioning skill. Then we need to organize what we need. That's metacognition. Think about what you do before you go grocery shopping. You probably think about what you're out of. Like you go to your fridge, like I'm out of milk. Think about what you're going to cook that week. You maybe meal plan or like, hey, I'm going to go out to eat on Friday. I don't need any food for that day. That's metacognition. Then you're going to pick a time to go grocery shopping when you have enough time to shop and get home using time management skills. So if you have to be at work at 7.15, you don't want to go grocery shopping at 7 o'clock, right? You're not going to have enough time to get there and get back. And then you have to leave for the store. That's task initiation. As you start to learn about these 11 executive functioning skills, I want you to think about which ones are really hard for you. Task initiation, personally, is my struggle one. I, I'm good once I'm doing something, but getting started for me is always real hard. When someone steals your parking spot when you get to the grocery store, you got to shake it off and move on, right? You, you want to roll down your window. You want to give them the finger, but you don't. You use emotional control. You need to raise your blood pressure for no reason. So again, emotional control. We're using one of our 11 executive functioning skills. When you're shopping, you use working memory to identify the food you need. And then you use response inhibition to avoid indulging in things you don't need. Yeah, maybe ice cream is on sale 10 for $10, but you don't need 10 things of ice cream, right? Our response inhibition is lower when we're hungry, right? Because we, we're, we just want everything at that point. Our response inhibition is a little bit lower. And then we're going to adapt our list using our flexibility if things are missing. We stay focused and on task using our sustained attention. And then last, we put all the groceries away when we get home. This is organization and persistence. This last step is real important. If you were to go grocery shopping and then get home and leave all your groceries on the table and then go to bed and wake up the next morning, did you accomplish the goal of grocery shopping? I'm going to challenge you and say, no, you didn't. Because the goal of grocery shopping is to have food you need during the week, right? If you leave all of your food on the kitchen table, your milk is gross, your lunch meat's questionable, the 10 pints of ice cream you bought are all melted, right? That's persistence. It's the last 3%. Maybe if you had kids or you're a teacher that during virtual instruction never submitted their assignments. I had a lot of clients that I worked with that did this. They, they did the work. Mom and dad were like, I see the work on their Chromebook. They didn't click submit on Google Classroom, right? Persistence is that last 3%, really important. Hi, I see someone from YouTube taking notes. Love that. I'm a big note taker. I'm sorry that it's blurry for you. On my end, it looks okay. Hopefully the blurriness will go away. Maybe that's an internet connection. So maybe try refreshing your screen. But I love that you're taking notes. So executive functions are essential life skills that all of our kids need. And this isn't just kids with autism. I talk about exe executive functions with gen ed teachers, with clinicians, with preschool teachers, high school teachers, and everyone in between, because these are something that we need for all of our learners. So I want you to think about what are some of your ways that, you know, your learners are struggling to meet those classroom or school expectations. Think back to what we started talking about. How are your kids struggling to meet those expectations? And then let's daydream here for a second. What would it be like if your students or your kids had those missing skills? What would that be like? What, what would that open up? What opportunities would that open up? It would probably open up more instructional time. You'd probably have better student relationships. Your kids would probably have increased independence or more inclusion opportunities. That would open up a lot of opportunities, right? 
When our students have proficient executive functioning skills, they become more flexible, more independent, better problem solvers. They're better able to self-regulate and self-advocate. I mean, I think we're all on board with all of those things, right? So that's what executive functioning skills really leads to. So now that I've really like caught your attention, you're like, okay, okay, I want all of this. Let, let's do it. How, how are we going to teach these skills? So I want to share today my four secrets of executive functions. I want to talk about how this relates to negative behavior. Um, as a behavior analyst, I know that's one of, and a former special ed teacher, I know that's one of the things that are top of everyone's mind. If you have a child or a student that's engaging in negative behavior, that's something that, of course, we want to address right away. And executive functions plays a big role in that. I also want to talk about the universal struggle of these skills, because once we realize how important these are and how we all have different strengths and weaknesses with these, I think we can help figure out solutions a lot easier. And then I want to wrap up today with how do we teach these skills? And we're going to teach it in two ways. We're going to come at it from two directions. We're going to teach the missing skills for success tomorrow, but we're also going to adapt the environment for success today. And I found when this, when you use this strategy of coming at it from both directions, you can have a lot of success. And this is something that we can easily do within our homes, within our clinical settings, within our classrooms with a really big impact. So first up, challenging behavior connection. Um, probably the topic I'm asked to talk the most about is related to decreasing challenging behaviors. So remember in the start of our session when I said, hey, you know, not meeting classroom expectations, and I had a slide with all kinds of, you know, aggression, shouting out, work refusal, we could have renamed that slide negative behaviors, right? So not meeting expectations looks like problem behavior. And it can look like a lack of motivation. If you're a parent, maybe you've had someone tell you about your kid, like, oh my gosh, he's just lazy. He just doesn't care. He doesn't want to. And I struggle a lot when I hear that from, from educators because it, it takes a lot of like the onus off of the educator, right? Okay, what, what do we do with that? What do we do with that label of he's lazy? He's not, he's not quote unquote trying, it might not be a motivation issue. We're sometimes too quick to jump to that when we really want to address the lack of skills that could be there and teach those missing skills. I want you to think for a second about what happens when you can't do something, when you don't have the skills to do something, something you want to do, right? So think in your own life. If you were, let's say you're trying to fix a tech issue, you're, you're a teacher, your smart board went out and you're about to have an observation, you're probably frustrated. Maybe you shut down. Maybe you just like, like, oh, I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm just trying to fix this. Maybe you snap at people. You know, if I'm like in the middle of trying to fix something and like my husband comes in, I'm like, get away, I got this, even though I don't, right? We're frustrated. We react. We're human. We're annoyed we don't have the skills to do something that we want to do. And I also want you to think for a second about what happens when you're bored. What do you do when you're bored? That's a trick question because we're never bored anymore because we all have smartphones, right? Think for a second if you were sitting at a really long like railroad crossing, a really long train crossing. When I take my oldest daughter to gymnastics, there's a freight train I hit every Tuesday. And when I'm sitting waiting for that freight train to go by, what do I do? I pull up my phone, of course, guys, right? Off-task behavior. I scroll on my phone. I chat with my daughter. I'm daydreaming. I'm fidgeting. I'm not sitting at 10 and 2 with my hands on the wheel on my car. No, right? When we're bored, all of us, including our kids, we engage in off-task behaviors. When we are asked to do skills that we cannot do yet, we're going to be bored, right? Because that's not accessible for us. 
So when our kids are engaging in off-task behaviors, it makes sense, right? We're like, yeah, they're this is not accessible to them. They are bored and they're going to engage in off-task behaviors, which could be negative behaviors. Same as us. We all do that. So when it comes to decreasing challenging behaviors, we want to put less of our energy and emphasis on decreasing the bad stuff and put more of our energy and time and focus on increasing the good stuff. You have long-term behavior change when you increase the positive behaviors. That will naturally decrease the negative behaviors. And it seems counterintuitive, but that's where we have that real long-lasting change, when we put our energy on increasing the positive behaviors instead of decreasing the negative ones. Let's look at this in terms of executive functions. If you have a kid that has a lack of emotional control, maybe they struggle to de-escalate, maybe they get really overwhelmed or upset or frustrated easily, this could probably lead to outbursts, to aggression, to shutting down, right? That's what a lack of emotional control can lead to. When we increase emotional control, We are better able to identify emotions. We can select coping strategies. We can bounce back more quickly. We can avoid potentially extreme behaviors and continue on with our day. We can avoid stigmatizing behaviors and friendship breakdowns. I'm showing a lot of tools that are a part of my executive functions course. Um, If you want to check any of these out, go to theautismhelper.com. On theautismhelper.com, there's a big button that says shop that takes you to our shop where we have all kinds of tools like this. We also have a little chat feature where you can talk to a member of our team and be like, hey, I saw these cool things. Where do I find them? Because having tools to help teach these skills, which we'll talk about in a few minutes, is really, really important. So I'm going to be showing some samples from that. If you have a lack of sustained attention... We have a struggle to work on our own. I mean, if you're if you're joining me live on Facebook or YouTube, drop a note if you have a if you have students that struggle or your own kid that struggles to be independent. They struggle to get dressed in the morning. They struggle to get their homework done. Being independent is a really hard but really really important skill. And some of our kids can get super distracted or not finish their work or maybe not stay on topic within that conversation, right? When we can increase sustained attention, our executive functioning skill, we can work for longer time periods. We can complete work on our own, and this can improve grades and friendships and academic skills. Maybe you have a child that struggles with time management. Again, it's going to be that independence piece, struggling to follow multi-step directions, maybe doesn't turn in assignments or is running late. Of course, this can have social and friendship consequences too. When we increase time management, we can work independently on more complex tasks. We can get more responsibilities. We can work on long-term assignments and goals and have more job opportunities in the future. So as we see, when this is just a few samples here, we're going through this real quick. When we build executive functioning skills, challenging behaviors go down and positive behaviors go up. So number two, the universal struggle. Whenever I do a session on executive functions, I always hear from parents and teachers, the adults in the room, like, oh my God, I feel like you're talking to me. I need, I need to build these skills, right? Because executive functions are needed by all of us. And a lot of students struggle with executive functioning skills. Learners with and without special needs or an IEP can build from executive functions, and they're needed for both home and school. 
COVID, I think, played a really big impact in our kids' levels of executive functioning skills. In a minute, we're going to talk about how to build up these skills through our kind of two-tiered approach. And kids really missed out on a lot of important learning opportunities that could have built executive functioning skills during that, especially that first year of COVID, when we were doing virtual instruction, when we weren't going grocery shopping with our parents, when we didn't have family parties, when we weren't going on play dates or birthday parties, right? We learn in our environment through repetition and reinforcement, through exposure to opportunities to build these skills. And guess what? Our kids lost a lot of that during COVID. So we want to make up for that lost time by providing targeted instruction for these skills. When I talk to gen ed teachers about the impacts of COVID and executive functioning skills, you know, teachers that have taught fourth grade for 15 years and they know developmentally where fourth graders are and they're like, I'm dying this year because this is not where the kids are right now. Of course, that makes sense, right? We see that because kids lost these opportunities during COVID. So work on executive functions with any kids that need it. Maybe you're here today because you're thinking about your child with autism, but you're like, oh my God, their older brother needs to work on this. Work on these with that older brother too. All right, now let's get how we really build these skills. You're like, all right, this sounds great. This sounds great, but how do we do this? We're going to do this in two ways. We're going to teach the missing skills for success tomorrow. And then our secret number four is we're going to adapt the environment for success today. We need both pieces. We need the instruction And we need to adjust the environment. And when you come at it from both angles, we can have a ton of success. Um, Since we're a little over halfway through our session, I'm going to do a little um, call out for questions because I want to make sure I'm not missing any questions that you have. If you're live with us on Facebook or YouTube, please drop in any questions about behavior, about executive functions, and we'll make sure to fit those in before we wrap up. All right. So executive functions can be built. Good news. These are behaviors, guys, and behaviors can be learned and strengthened. Executive, we learn executive functions through interactions with other people and our environment. How do we learn new skills? We learn new skills through time and practice and purposeful instruction. Osmosis does not work. Wishing and hoping that learners will naturally pick up skills is absolutely not effective. Just putting a student who's super organized next to a student who's not organized is not going to help that kid pick up those skills, right? So let's think for a second. How do we learn new skills? I want you to think back a long time ago. I want you to think about how you learned addition. How did you learn the skill of addition? How did that happen? Did you learn, did you just observe other people doing addition? Is that how you learned? Did you learn addition in one day and then totally master it? Did you work on addition in one grade level and then never use it again? If you made a mistake when you were learning addition, were you punished? Absolutely not. Those are not ways that we learn a skill. We learn new skills through repetition and reinforcement. We have frequent opportunities to practice. We get reinforcement following correct responses. We get error correction after incorrect responses. That's how we learn. We need to approach teaching executive functions with the same process, with the same rigor, with the same attention to detail that we approach the academics. And if you're a parent and you're like, I don't know how to teach academics, it's about putting that intention 
behind building this skill. Just like you taught your kid to tie their shoe, just like you taught your kid to, you know, climb out of their bed or whatever skills you're teaching them to do to brush their teeth in the morning, to wake you up in the morning when they get out of bed, whatever skills you're working on, in the same way we want to do this with our executive functioning skills, with that intention. We want this to be purposeful. We want this to be planned out. So here's what our executive functions plan looks like. I'm going to give you a really short and sweet to something within the course we teach kind of in depth. And if I've really kind of caught your attention, we have an in-depth course on executive functioning skills. Head over to theautismhelper.com to check that out if you're interested. So let's look at a st- our executive function skill building plan. So first, we're going to establish a goal. So what do you want your student to do more of? Then is that two-prong approach that I told you about. We're going to teach the new skills, number two, and then we're going to, number three, plan our environmental supports. And of course, we need reinforcement built into all of this. So overall, keep thinking this, we're doing two things. We're teaching the new skill and we're changing the environment. So we need both. Direct instruction means that we're going to have purposeful, planned, and individualized instruction on executive functioning skills. Now, good news. Research has shown that instruction should be in the same setting or a similar setting as possible to where the skill is going to be used. Now, I say this is good news because if you're a teacher, you should not be setting aside 30 minutes every day to work on executive functions. First of all, no one has time for that. Second of all, Research does not show that that's going to be the most successful way to do that. We want to teach executive functioning skills in the same setting where you need it. So if we're looking at organization skills, that's going to be when we're in passing periods at the hallway. If we're looking at emotional control, that's going to be when the iPad has to be given back to the paraprofessional. If we're looking at working memory, that's going to be in our guided reading groups when we have to use that skill. So wherever we need to use that skill, that's where we should be providing instruction. We want it embedded into our day. My favorite way to do that is to use an individualized checklist to directly teach those missing skills. Now, I kind of use the word checklist in quotes here because it doesn't have to be a checklist, but it has to be some type of visual tool. In a little bit, we're going to talk about prompt fading and the type of prompt that we always want to end with for our kids is a visual prompt. Because visual prompts can be used without us, right? We use visual prompts without anyone all the time. So we want to end on that visual prompt, and that's what that checklist or tool can really do. So we're going to create an individualized tool. We're going to teach that tool, data our adult support, and then monitor along the way. So the individual checklist could be a checklist. It could be a mini schedule. It could be a set of rules. It could be a visual. It could be a social story. I'm going to show a bunch of different pictures of different examples of what this could look like. These could be something really simple or really complex. It could have all pictures. It could have all words. You want this to be accessible and understandable for that child. And you know what, guys? We all use checklists, mini schedules, rules. Let's think about it. Think about the last time you went to a hotel. Most hotels have that little crappy coffee maker. You know what I'm talking about with this picture right here? And there is a mini schedule on almost every one of those little coffee makers that makes one little cup of coffee. And you guys, I always use that coffee maker because I need my coffee right away. And hotels, no, people are going to be grouchy if that coffee is not accessible. And there's a little mini schedule so everyone knows how to use that coffee maker. Most public restrooms have visuals on how to wash your hands. 
airports are absolutely filled with visuals and rules and checklists so everyone can navigate successfully throughout that airport. So this is something we all use. This checklist is also really helpful for both you and your students, helps you focus on each step as you teach and can serve as the instructional tool and prompt for the student. So let's give a few different examples of what this checklist or tool could look like. This could be a set of rules. It could be an actual checklist. Remember, words are a visual prompt too. I am a big visual learner, so I love a written out checklist for myself. These could be the steps, something like steps for asking for a break, how we ask for a break, what we say, what we do. It could be a set of choices. On Instagram this week, we're talking a lot about how to create a neurodivergent affirming classroom. And this is one of the strategies I was talking about today. Giving choices. Our kids need choices, right? I love this little visual because it's all text. Because remember, text is a visual cue. And it says, anger is okay, but what should I do? I love validating feelings. I'm never going to tell someone to not be angry because first off, that doesn't work, but also it's super inappropriate. Like if someone were to tell me not to be angry, it would just make me more angry. Anger is okay, but what should I do? Yeah, when you're angry, you can't can't throw your desk. You can't punch your friend, but you can go on a walk. You can't ask for help. You can't put your head down, right? So we're giving a list of curated options and giving that choice and power to the individual. Checklist for proofreading or work or knowing when we're done. Sets of rules and if-thens. Schedules and uh, agendas to show how we are navigating our day and our centers. All of these are tools that we can use to build executive functioning skills. So as we said, we're kind of ta- going to take this two-prong approach. Number three was we are teaching the skill for success tomorrow. And that's a process, right? When we're teaching flexibility or emotional control, that's going to take some time. And we're not going to just let the students struggle or drown until then. In the meantime, we're going to adapt the environment for success today. The environment that your child is a part of can be a tool that makes their life easier or an obstacle that they have to overcome. Think about that for a minute. We want the environments that our kids are in to be something that helps them be successful. Let's say you asked me to do something really difficult. For me, that would be long division. I'm not a big math person. So if you asked me to do a page of long division, that would be kind of tricky. Now, let's say you asked me to do that page of long division in a distracting and overwhelming setting. You, you plopped me in the middle of Times Square and you said, Sasha, do this page of long division. I would have to spend most of my energy, of my brain power, tuning out Times Square. I wouldn't have much left to focus on that long division. For a lot of our kids, their classrooms are equivalent to Times Square. And they're spending most of their time and energy and brain power tuning out the big distractions. There's not much left for the work, right? And for a lot of our kids, that's something difficult that we're asking them to do are the executive functions. It's being organized. It's managing your time. It's starting your tasks on time. And they're doing it in a distracting and overwhelming setting, their classroom, right? For educators and for my parents here, really work with your occupational therapists on this in a big, big way. Um, Your occupational therapists are your best friend, and they're going to really be able to help you identify what is potentially even just visually, even just looking at the visuals, what's visually overwhelming in that setting. 
because we forget about that with the visual senses. What's visually just too much? That's, I mean, even for myself, I am right now in my basement office, which half of it is like my husband's office and half of it is where I record. And my husband's messier than I am. And it is visually overwhelming for me to look at his mess, right? I don't like that. It's distracting. We all have different things within our visual senses that will be a distraction or a source of overwhelm. We want the student's environment to really be a tool that helps them be successful. There should be a purpose in every single thing in your child's setting. Schedules are there to build independence. Structure is there to lead to less distractions and less anxiety. Um, Visuals are there to lead to less problem behavior. There should be a purpose for everything. So some of our kids that have executive function weaknesses will need a little bit more support than those without those weaknesses. You know, think to brain development. These individuals do not yet have that neurological capacity to accomplish these things. It's kind of like asking me to run that five-minute mile. I don't have the skills to do it. So instead, we can provide support to help students accomplish these skills. So there's two big ways we can set up our environment for success. We can change the way the environment looks and the task and activity is presented. We can also change the way people interact with the child. The environment is two things, the stuff and the people. When you are at home, you are a part of your child's environment, right? And it's really important that we identify our role in this and how we are interacting. So first off, let's look at how the environment looks. So our three ways to change how the environment looks. We can look at consistency and routine. We can look at minimizing distractions and embedding visuals and anchor charts. So first up, consistency and routines. This is one of my favorite, favorite strategies. strategies. I already said that about choices. Choices are great as well, but consistency and routines is also a game changer. It is all about the ability to sequence and anticipate what is coming next. When we have predictable sequences for really all of our kids, we have less negative behavior. We have less anxiety. We have more independence, more efficiency. Consistent routines give us that. I have a silly example for you. Stay with me. Let's say we were all abducted by aliens. Okay. I haven't lost it. I have a point here. Let's say we've all been abducted by aliens. Okay. And you have two choices for how this goes. Now, keep in mind, when you're abducted by aliens, how are you feeling? You're feeling stressed. You're feeling nervous, scared, right? This is a heightened state of being. We're stressed out. And now you have two choices I'm going to give you when you've been abducted by aliens. The first choice is right here, blue and red tables. Every day you're taken into a room with blue tables. And in blue table room, life's awesome. You get to watch Netflix, you get to drink wine, you get to eat ice cream, life's great. After blue table room, you go to red table room. In red table room, life's not so awesome. You have to do pages of long division. The only music option is Kid Rock, which even if you're a Kid Rock fan, it's going to get old. And the only snack option is celery with no ranch or no peanut butter, nothing good. That's really the whole point of, you know, of celery is, is to dip it, right? So every day you go to blue table room, you get Netflix, red table room, you get Kid Rock. Okay, so that's option number one. Option number two, green and yellow tables. When you go into green table room, sometimes it's Netflix, sometimes it's Kid Rock. When you go into yellow table room, sometimes it's celery, sometimes it's ice cream. Now, which one do you prefer? Number one or number two? Number one is same every day, right? We Blue and red tables. We know what's coming. Or number two, unpredictable. In a heightened 
stressful situation, I am team number one all day. Oh my goodness, right? Yes, unpredictability is part of life, but we need that consistent routine first. We need that consistency. We need to know what's coming. You guys, I never want to be surprised by Kid Rock. I don't. I'm going to tell you. Right? And for a lot of our kids, when we think about like being abducted by aliens, for some of our kids, going to school is like going to an alien planet, especially our babies, our preschoolers, right? When mom comes in and drops her three-year-old off in the preschool classroom and she's got him on her hip and he's... He's 48 pounds. He's a big three-year-old. Her one arm is like real jacked because she always carries him and plops him in her room. And this looks around. He's on an alien planet, right? I feel that way about freshmen in high school. They're in the same building, pre-K through eighth grade. Everyone in school knows them. They love everyone. Then they go to high school and all the kids are big and tall and smelly, right? And there's like a lot of stairwells. It's an alien planet. We need that predictability, those consistent routines, right? And again, someone said from Facebook, my son doesn't do well with transitions. Transitions are hard. Transitions require a lot of executive functioning skills. It requires um, it requires task initiation. It requires working memory. It requires sustained attention. All these executive functioning skills are part of transitioning. Having our consistent routines can help that. A question from YouTube. My son is five, receiving ABA private therapy with small groups of peers, but struggles a lot with the executive functioning skills you've mentioned. How do we teach him to reach out to his choice board to prevent him from shutting down? Once he's shut down, he's not receptive to any of his favorite things to do. So when we're in that moment of overwhelm, right? When we're just kind of shut down and you're like, yeah, like here, look at all your fun things and your choice board. I I think we can give that space to to decompress. And we can also offer suggestions for coping strategies. And I showed a few slides back, some of those visuals for coping strategies, that could be a great alternative to, hey, like that, you know, that's an option that we can do. And we can go for a walk or we can do this, we get a drink of water um, and have those options accessible. Uh, And I think helping students identify what could be those precursors to the shutting down and you identifying that as well, that, hey, before we get there, how can we prevent the shutdown from happening? And and that and it's a process too, right? It, it takes time and practice for both you and your child. So with, with our consistent routines, which help with both emotional control and transitions, both the thing we're talking about, we want to then communicate when those transitions are coming, when those consistent routines are happening. With um, you know, the Facebook question, how can we help with AC to prepare them for transitions? It's really showing our schedules. It's showing what's coming next. And whether that's through visuals or text, showing, hey, this is the order of activities. These are the order we're doing things. Reviewing that consistently and having that predictable sequence. So, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's the order of activities. And here's where we're going to go next. Strategy number two for our environment is to really minimize our distractions. We talked about this before. What's visually too much? Think to your OTs. Hey, what's too, do we have too many toys on the shelf? Do we have too many um, things out in our classroom? Can we minimize those distractions? And then how can we embed our visuals into our home setting, into our school setting? Maybe we have that choice board accessible in multiple parts of our house. Maybe we have those coping skills kind of visual choice board in our within our within our bedroom or in our, our calm down area within the classroom. 
anchor charts are really important in the classroom because they help that problem-solving skill. They really teach to scaffold to independence that, hey, if you don't know the answer, please go find the answer instead of coming to me for that answer. So here's our three, three big ways to adapt the environment. Consistency routines, minimizing distractions, and embedding visuals and anchor charts. Um, in the chat, again, this is it's a great discussion here. Thanks for, for jumping in, everyone, with questions and, and comments on YouTube and on Facebook today. Um, falling asleep, looking at, hey, when my, you know, my son physically shuts down and falls asleep, if there's that stressful task. And a lot of the strategies that actually we're going to look at right now, you're kind of reading my mind here, is looking at those stressful tasks, those aversive tasks. When we think about work refusal, work avoidance. This is the same content that I teach about when I teach escape behaviors. When we have stressful tasks, we want to think about what makes this task or demand so hard. So we want to think about and kind of same thing that we were talking about in our last discussion of like, you know, getting to that, to the, to the student before they shut down. What is evoking or what is causing that shutdown? What makes this expectation so hard for them? And how can we set up the environment to make it less difficult for that child? So we have to adapt the task, right? Maybe we need to make the task shorter. Maybe that time spent working is too long. Instead of having a 15-minute work session, we have three five-minute work sessions. Maybe we have to plan in those breaks and show with visuals when those breaks are coming. Maybe we need to have clear visual steps of the order of what to do. Maybe we need choices for students that struggle with emotional control and flexibility to executive functioning skills. It's all about giving choices here because these are students that feel like they have no control and we want to give that control back. Make tasks more appealing. What do we do when we have something that we don't really want to do, right? If you have to fold your laundry, you listen to a podcast, you watch a show, right? How can you make tasks that aren't that fun more appealing? And then highlight the reinforcer. So um, in the face in Facebook, we're chatting about going to the grocery store because that could be an aversive task. Can we highlight what the reinforcer is at the end of the grocery store? Hey, after we go to the grocery store, we're going to buy our favorite treat and you can eat it on the way home. So highlighting that reinforcer. So there's our ways to adapt the task. And the last thing that we're going to wrap up with today is ways we can adapt the adult support. So remember, the environment is the stuff and the people. And here's a few quick ways I'm going to touch on some of these really quick because I only have a few more minutes, but I want to touch on our strategies for adult support because we play a big role in this. And our four strategies are direct language, prompt fading, verbal scaffolding, and problem solving support. So first up is clear verbal cues. This is so simple, but such a game changer. Provide consistent, clear directions. Don't give questions and directions in the form of a question. If you say to your son, hey, are you ready to get on the bus? He might say no. And you're like, well, too bad. Get on the bus, right? Or if you're like, Johnny, do you want to come take your math test? He's like, no, I don't want to. And you're like, too bad. Get over here. When we do that, when we dismiss our kids, no, that's dangerous. We're teaching them that their no doesn't matter. Only ask a question when you're willing to accept the answer no. Hey, do you want to come play a game with me? No. Okay, maybe later. Instead, say, it's time to get on the bus. Please get on the bus. It's time to take your math test. Please take your math test. No, no questions if it's not a question, right? Don't give directions when there are competing distractions. If your kid's playing on his iPad, he's not listening to you. Keep it also on the positive or neutral. Focus on the next step. 
So often when we give directions, especially like in the home setting, when there's a lot going on, we're focusing on the problem. If the school bus is about to come and you look over and your kid's still in their pajamas, hasn't brushed their teeth, you're like, oh my God, you haven't brushed your teeth yet. You're going to be late for the bus. All you're doing is highlighting the problem. Instead, highlight the solution. Hey, while you brush your teeth, I'm going to grab you a granola bar to eat at the bus. So keep it on that next step. And then fade your prompts. We already talked about this. We want our, our prompts to end on that visual prompt because visual prompts can be used without us. So that's why we're creating that checklist or tool so we can pull back and our students can use that visual tool without us. And then last is verbal scaffolding. This is where we talk through our thought process and we're really intentional about the way we talk to our kids and to others. And the very last one is problem solving support. And this is a great, great strategy. Basically, the idea here is if you do it for them, they will never learn. Pick times of day where you can allow the productive struggle. I like this phrase, the productive struggle, where you allow problems to happen. And then you jump in with all these strategies we just talked about, prompt fading, visuals, um, direct language. Then you can help them solve that problem. Our students will never become problem solvers if they never run into problems. And I think so often we are kind of running around in front of our kids, making sure they never run into problems, right? But sometimes let the problems happen. Give Johnny Sarah's lunchbox and don't run over and fix it right away. Let them initiate the solution. And when we do that in the comfort of our home, in the comfort of our classroom, where we have tools, where we know how to interact appropriately, then we can really have that successful piece. So thank you so much for joining me. We covered a lot in a short amount of time. We introduced the 11 executive functioning skills. We talked about how these skills relate to challenging behavior. And then we really introed the process of teaching these skills. We teach the missing skills for success tomorrow, and we're adapting the environment for success today. So we covered a lot. I hope you are excited to learn more about executive functioning skills. Here is my website, theautismhelper.com. We have a ton on there. I have been doing, started the Autism Helper 10 and a half years ago. There's a ton on our blog and podcast. And if I've really piqued your interest with executive functioning skills, we have a complete six-hour course broken into short and sweet videos along with that toolkit. So there's a lot more to this. And if you're interested, we've got a lot more um, where this came from. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much to the podcast-a-thon for inviting me. This has been a really fun um, hour. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day.